I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome along to the Rocky Road Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Kevin Byrne. Today, we're joined by unbeaten but inactive Tyrone boxer, Fergal McCrory. Hopefully, just one of those descriptions is about to change when he returns to the ring in Queens, New York on August 12th, which I hope is still happening. Fergal, welcome to the show. Uh, now, you're out of the ring since May of 2019. What's been the holdup and uh, why go back after all these years? Hi, um, thanks for having me. Uh, the the holdup uh, pandemic had a big part to play some bad decision making on my part and uh yeah you know i've been act- i've been inactive in the ring but i've been i've been in the gym a lot not as much as, as i probably could have been had i been active but i've been in the gym i look after myself and uh yeah we're getting ready to rock and roll on on august 12th and uh you must be itching you must have itchy knuckles to get back in action again because sparring ain't fighting no, spars not fighting. Thank God, because there was a few spars now. It wasn't. It was a lot of rust. Um, but you know, we're getting there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm realistic. You know, I'm, I'm just turned thirty. I've been inactive a long time. Um, but you know, let's see where it goes. Um, I've, I've always been hungry. You know, it's it's the only thing I've ever ever really wanted to do, and it's the only thing I've ever absolutely excelled at. And I just can't wait to go. You know, I'm working hard and and. I'm not one of these people who who blows it all over social media about how hard I'm working. I mean, I'm a professional boxer. It's, it's what we're supposed to do, and people will will make judgment and see how hard I work whenever I fight. Yeah, like you say, Fergie, you just turned thirty. I would say in ring years, probably a young thirty. You've had eleven pro fights, won the Irish title in uh, two fights ago, and you seem to be coming up and up. Uh, March 2020, you're supposed to box on a Mick Conlon bill in New York. Gets cancel with covid and uh obviously like we see inactive in the last couple of years but like i was saying probably a young 30 what's your uh what's your thoughts when you see lads of your generation retired already like the likes of uh james tennyson there was james friars a couple of he's retired a couple of years ryan burnett marco mccullough conrad colmings all lads in around your age group have had their careers been up to the high highs experienced the low lows and have now hung up their gloves and kicked on with their lives what's what do you think when you see those guys doing it Makes me feel old. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so some great lads. You, you named them there, James Tennyson. Not not only in the ring, but outside the ring, James as a person is 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 brilliant. And a lot of young fighters should should look at James and use him as an example because 
anytime you see James, whether it be on camera or off camera, he treats everyone with respect. Mark McCullough was the same. Great lad. We we shared the gym and John Breen's for a number of years. I learned a lot from Mark's parent. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Paul Highland too. I'm not sure what Paul's doing. You know, we're, our generation is definitely moving on. Ram Burnett, um, uh, an unbelievable fighter. He he got to the heights of world level and, and excelled at it. Um, but yeah, they, they've they've all reached great highs and and some some lows and but uh you know I I, I want to see what my highs are you know yeah you still I see us being all ahead of you you haven't really scratched the surface of your potential yet I don't think no you know and and uh, what has also been very frustrating was when I was when I was fighting in Ireland I was working full time so I get up in the morning and you know five o'clock I would go running I would come home a quick shower change straight to work, drive to work some anywhere anywhere in the north. Um I remember one time in Derry training for a fight. So I would get up, run, uh, get into the car, go to Derry, do a day's work. The boss would let me away a little bit early to get to Belfast in time for six. So straight down the road from, from Derry to Belfast to train and then coming home, get home about half nine and just preparing for the next day. So you were meeting yourself coming out the door on my I was pushing myself very hard in training, but I feel when when, when we come close to the fights and, and when I get into the ring, I, I was wrecked. I was done out. So the recovery wasn't what it should have been. The diet wasn't what it should have been. Um, but again, that that's that's my own fault. Um, but when you're a young family, you have to provide, and and there's no money in boxing. You know, people think that there is money at, at the at top levels, but. Uh, where I have been and where I'm at, there's not. So, you know, you have to provide first and foremost. So, you know, my job was very, very important. But boxing, as I say, is always something that I've, I've been passionate about and something I've wanted to do. So, you know, I was always giving it 110%. And I think that with my work commitments and my, my training schedule, it affected my my performances on fight night. And, and this wasn't just this wasn't just office work either. This was, you know, on the sites, on the roads, gas mains and all that sort of crack. Yeah, out on, out on the roads, um, and I loved it. You know, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't really be built for offices, to be honest. But, uh, but, but, but a hard day's work, and you know, it kept you modest, and you know, it it also kept you driven too. So it has it had it had its pros as its pros as well. So, you know, it's it's just been a part of the journey, and and I'm thankful that we were able to come through it unscathed in terms of results in the ring. But I don't believe that I ever produced in the ring what I was able to produce in sparring and uh, you know hopefully now going forward that that can change and I can bring it from the gym into the ring Looking at your career and some of the people you know some of the people who've had been an influence you know, on you I want to ask, ask them about you because I kind of feel that the people who influence you I suppose craft you into the person you are now so what about uh, Tyrone's original Tommy Carr <laughs> Tommy Tommy some guy uh, Tommy, Tommy set the bar. Tommy still is as as the bar set for boxing in Tyrone. I mean, what he achieved back with no high performance was was incredible, really. And if Tommy had been around now, with with the funding, with the the professionalism of the sport, who knows what he'd have gone on to achieve? I remember Frank Irwin actually telling me a story that he had called up to the one of the, one of the major tournaments that he medaled at. It was possibly the world's. I think it was the world's. And they had a two-week training camp in Drummond Forest. It's a it's a forest in Tyrone. 
where they were running up mountains and crazy stuff. And then he went out and he, he brought home a bronze medal. But yeah, Tommy, Tommy set the bar and he's a legend in, in his own boxing and, and even further afield. He's, he's a great person. And thankfully, I'm lucky enough to be able to call him a friend also. Yeah, he was Ireland's first ever world championships uh, medalist. And obviously, we've had a few big ones since, a few gold medals since, but he was the first one to bring anything home. I want to ask you a story about a story that involves your granddad, Amir Khan, a bribe, and Ukraine. I, yeah, so I was at the, the European Championships, and Amir's younger brother was, was on the same tournament with, with England. So, Whatever way the, the trains worked out there, you had to pay when you were on the train and they get on different language and whatnot. So they were all on the train and, and Frank and my grandfather were there with, uh, with, um, Mick, Mick Jelly and Sha Khan and then my father. So the, the ticket mom was coming down and they had no tickets. So between the, the miscommunication and and everything else that came along with it, they, they were taken off the train by security and the police came. And, uh, <laughs> Frank and my grandfather, they, they made a run for it. You know, my grandfather at the time would have been in his, in his mid seventies. Frank was probably early sixties, maybe. Yeah, in around early sixties. But two, the two oldest men run separate ways, lost in Ukraine, <laughs> hiding behind horses on the police. And then they had to, they had to pay a bribe to, to the police to get away with it. So I, they were, they were lucky. They were lucky that thing. <laughs> <laughs> you learned a lot from Frank Irwin uh, as a as an amateur boxing coach coming up. And uh, did you feel did you feel that you fulfilled your potential in the amateurs? I suppose there was maybe the major senior medals eluded you, but you were successful at underage, and you won the first your first share of titles too. No, I, I never excelled. And, and part of the reason was, and part of the reason I didn't excel was because of boxing. Because in, in local communities, you know, you're young, you're doing very well anywhere you went. There was free drink and parties. And my wife was it. There was women too. And, you, know, it was, you know, it was good crack. It was great crack. I was young. I never, ever, Frank never made me make weight, which, which was great. I mean, I won an Irish title at 64 kilos, I think. It was 18. And I'm now fighting as a, this fight's actually, the next fight's at super featherweight. And I'm going to compete featherweight. And, uh, you know, we never, ever cut our weight, but, you know, I, I could have looked after myself a lot better when I was younger. And if I'd have kept the blinkers on, I, I believe I would have done a lot better than, than I did. I'm proud of what I achieved, but the, there could have been a whole lot more, but it's no, it, it isn't a regret. Amateur boxing was always for me a, a platform to become a professional fighter, always. Now, regarding your family, uh, I read about your late uncle Seamus Dillon, who was uh, who was killed in a terrible incident. Can you tell us about what happened with Seamus or his nickname? He had a nickname, didn't he? Sig, yeah, my uncle Sig, my great uncle Sig. He um he he was an Irish Republican prisoner. He he served his time in jail, and he got out. He was working on the Langyannan door on uh, New Year's Eve, I think it was. Yeah, New Year's Eve or New Year's night, and um. Billy Wright was killed that day. So the, the, the loyalist, power, loyalist paramilitaries were going to be out looking revenge. And unfortunately, they, they got SIG and they actually got Conrad's uncle too. Christy, he, he's paralyzed from that incident. Um, the police 
the police or back then especially were rotten. You know, the, the inquest, the the disappearance of evidence, the witness statements, you know, they but what Sig done that night was he was a hero. You know, and we're very, very proud of him and he's fondly remembered by He put himself in harm's way to protect the people inside the disco. Just kids, wasn't it? Teenagers, and he put himself in harm's yeah. way and, and died for it. Yeah, he the car drove in twice and back then from the stories I was told, you know, back then uh the young boys weren't driving around in cars like they are today because money back then was a lot scarcer than than what it is now. So the car drove in and really slow was watching them and drove out and it drove in again really slow and drove out and on Sig's head and if that comes in again he said I'm going down. So Sig went down and, and Christy Cummings I could be a hundred percent wrong. Well, I could be wrong to a degree, but the stories I've been told that uh, Sig went down and Christy was behind him, and, and your man got out with a gun, and and uh, Sig just shouted, "Close the fucking doors!" and and he he sadly lost his life that night. But you know, he as I say, he he died a hero, and we're very very proud of him. Yeah, I'm sure it have a lot, uh, big effect on your family. Though I suppose to go through the torturous. Year, years and years of waiting for inquests and for evidence and for people to come forward and for the police to, you know, give you some satisfaction. Have you re- has your family reached a satisfying kind of conclusion to your search for justice in it? Um, it, w- it would be wrong of me to speak on behalf of my, my great granny. I mean, she's she's still alive. She's in her nineties now. Well, she's better. Uh, with good blood. With good blood. Um, my 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 own grandfather, Sig's brother. You know he's he, he's 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 himself. Would he would he be happy with with how it is has been dragged out? I don't think anyone could be happy, really. You the know, damage is done. Um, yeah, damage is done. Um, but but you know, my, my grandmother, you know, she she never ever wanted any retaliation, but she wants she wants justice. You know, and I think uh, you know we can always keep that hope for her, but but you know. Do you remember? Do you remember the events at the time? You would have been very young at the time, or would have been young. But I remember the. I, I do remember the panic and, and the devastation for being so young because it was something new to me. Um, yeah, I, I, I do remember that time. Yes, but now vividly remembered. I remember, you know, my mum and, and Sig would have been very, very close. So, you know, it, she, she was heartbroken, obviously. Uh, as my mum's my brother and two sisters were, and then you know we have my grandfather to see to see my grandfather, a big, strong, proud man, in in the shape that he was in, it was uh, you know it's something I don't think it would, I think it's something that would, would stick with you no matter what age you were when you saw that. Mm-hmm. Your he, your uncle was uh, deeply embedded in sport, I believe, and is that kind of the same case for all your family? Are you a GAA family primarily, or are there other fighters involved there as well, even in the amateurs? Yeah, my, my dad and my uncle both both boxed for Clano. Um I have predominantly GAA family, yeah. Um nobody really excelled at it like for for my cousin. My cousin was on part of the Tyrone team that won the All Ireland last year. Uh, he's a great footballer, Shea Hamill. Um but but yeah, we, we all just love sport. We all really love sport and uh it um it, it's it's just something I've been good at. I love it. Sport, sports has been a very important part of my upbringing. You were a teenager when you signed uh, with Ricky Hatton's promotional venture. 
Uh, didn't end up fighting under the under Hatton at the time. He signed Burnett at the time as well, and Burnett got a start and moved on after a while. But um, what was your time with Ricky Hatton like? Even though you didn't get to fight, was it beneficial for you, or was it something that you carry with you to this day? Or are you still friends? Or how, how did it go? I young, crazy, mad. Um, I think I was just too young for it all. You know, it was it was uh, very immature. Thought I thought I knew more than than what I did know, and um, it it no, I, I don't know Ricky. Ricky wouldn't really know me. You know, it's it's just something that that came around and and really failed to materialize, obviously, and and just it just uh, fizzled out. But you know, a, a great honor for for me to have met him and and been in around the gym. I was actually training with John Breen at that time. Um. So, yeah, I, I was signed to Ricky when I was when I was young, but as I say, I was just too young for it. And again, my own fault, my own fault, my own craziness. And did you mess up a few opportunities or something like that? Is that how it went away, or did you get fight dates that fell through, or what happened? There was a fight date, and then my medicals weren't in on time and stuff, and then it all it all just sort of fell apart then, and. and and that was it, you know. But again, if I had had my medical sorted in time the right way, and but if I had been a little bit more educated on on the right things to to do and where to go and how to do it, then it, it probably would have been different. But you know, it it, uh, it is what it is. So. Yeah. If I knew then what I know now, kind of job. Yeah. Hindsight, hindsight's a good thing. You were working at the time though with uh, with John Breen and Eamon McGee in Breen's gym, and uh, full stable at the time. What was life like back then? Tough. Tough place to be. Sweatbox. Uh, super on. You know, wars every day. Uh, I'd have sparred Mark McCullough, Eamon McGee Jr., God rest him. Um, and then anyone else really came into the gym. Sweet Pea, I remember Sweet Pea was in around the gym, but he was just coming to the end of his career, so I never got to share the ring with him, but he's a great person also. Uh, Paul McCluskey was, was there on... Eamon McGee, I mean, Eamon McGee's boxing brain is insane. What a, what a very, very intelligent man. Someone I'm, I'm very, very good friends with. And then you obviously have John, who, who was just, you know, him and Eamon played good, good cop, bad cop. Obviously, McGee was, was bad cop. Um, Jamie Conlon was in the gym at the time. Uh, Michael Conlon was obviously in and out and, and, um, he was amateur, obviously, at the time also, but it, it was a great place to be. That it was above the, it, it was above the wee bar, down in the city centre. So it was a great atmosphere, great atmosphere in around the gym, and uh, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. I obviously, I, firstly, what I learned was the huge differences in professional and amateur boxing. It, um, I, I got a rude awakening, hundred percent. And uh, yeah, McGee, McGee is a great boxer. McGee is a great boxing brain. Can you expand on that a bit? His, he just sees things differently than most people I've ever met. I mean, with him being a southpaw, me being a southpaw, he, he's so direct and to the point. He, how he shows you things and how he does it himself is is brilliant. Um, even like, you know, you could hit someone four times by throwing one punch. You know, so you're hitting them a right hook an elbow, an elbow on a knee, you know, all the fun punch. So <laughs> <laughs> he, he shows you things like that. And, he, and uh, 
he's very, very hard on you also. He makes you push 110% every session. There's no, no, nothing short of that. Anything short of that is go home, get out. He doesn't care. I remember one night doing sprints with, uh, Eamon's nephew, Sean, whenever he moved to the, to the, the next gym down, uh, Distillery Street. And we were doing sprints up and <laughs> down What seemed like ages, me and Sean were wrecked. And it was a beautiful evening in the summer. And then he says, right, come on in and he's going to start warming up. We, we couldn't even breathe. We were absolutely smashed. And he took us in sparring. Oh, I'd say it's one of the hardest sessions. Definitely one of the hardest sessions I've ever done. But, you know, his, McGee's boxing brain is just, you have to experience it to, to really understand. And whenever you've been around so many people for so long in boxing and then you are with him and you really appreciate the, the genius that he is in the sport. And he's a gentleman also. He's a gent, yeah. Did you ever ask him about the, the wilder side of his life, I suppose, which he, you know, he opened up to the public in his book, which was an award winner. Did you ever did you ever hear about the the uh, other side of his life, I guess? Is, I've heard I've actually heard a lot of stories that he legally wasn't able to put in the book. <laughs> um, oh, he was crazy. Crazy. Some so he, he can't if he's not telling them, I can't tell them. But that yeah. was the sanitized version we read, yeah. Oh, oh my god. Um he he could write another book. He's mad. I mean, even the time about the, the Provo's coming into him in South Armagh, you know, I don't think he could put the full details into that either. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's, but, but, a, but a great person. Great, great person. Yeah, that Eamon, was... Eamon's his own worst enemy. You think so? Yeah, Eamon's just his own worst enemy, you know. I mean, he... He just... Uh, you know, he's a drink problem and whatever else, but, but as, a, as a person and as a man, I mean, he's, he's to the point. And, and if he likes you, he likes you. And if he doesn't like it, he doesn't pretend. And I think people should respect that. So if he doesn't like you, I think he should actually say, you know what, for play, not, I don't like him. He's this, that, or the other. I think people should actually say, well, well I don't like him. He doesn't like me. Yeah. Good enough. And fair play for uh, being honest about it. Uh, Eamon McGee Jr., you would have done rounds with him. Obviously a tragic loss, but what sort of, like, as a boxing podcast, like, what sort of a fighter was he? Come forward. Stand and fight. Um, a great lad, too. Um, fit. Very, very fit. Very, very busy. Um, Eamon, Eamon was, was a great lad, Eamon Jr. You know, he was a great person to be, be around he worked very very hard I, I hadn't actually seen him for for a few months and then I was down and going to the gym in Distillery Street and he was actually working in a gym on the same floor he wasn't training out of John's gym at that time and that was only about a week before the, the tragic incident where, where he lost his life and you know his, his family I'm sure are, are still absolutely devastated to this day and, and will be forever yeah absolutely yeah, I can't imagine such such a tragedy. But you said uh, Eamon taught you a lot as a southpaw, and maybe it's the way you carry yourself. But when you met Larry Holmes, he twigged it immediately. Yeah, so I met Larry Holmes in Philadelphia the night of Wilder Fury too, and um, the, the it's actually a man McLaughlin. He's from Toronto. He owns he's he's a very very successful businessman in America. He owns bars all over. It was in his bar. We went down, so we, he came out and he took me in to meet him. And I came walking over and he says, yeah, this is Fergal. He's a boxer. He's from Ireland. And 
he looks at me and he says, oh, you're coming forward to Southpaw. I was like, what? He obviously doesn't know me. Like, I was like, yeah. I, I was definitely taken back by it now because um, I've never even expected or anyone to say that to anyone else, let alone for it to happen to me So or witness it happen. So, yeah, it was... I don't, I don't know how, how he cut him or... I don't know, maybe that's why he was... He obviously has that kind of way of looking at everybody who walks towards him, as in, how would he attack me if he was to attack me immediately? You know, yeah, that yeah, defense, you know, yeah. he's waiting to, where where would I catch him with the jab on the way in? And he probably still wouldn't want to catch him, catch one off him. Oh. <laughs> you, 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 box oh. in Ar- you box in Ireland, you had some, uh, you know, you had flawless campaign uh, in your career in Ireland. And you're always linked with America as well. Um, so I often heard stories, Al McCrory signed with a, uh, with top rank and you know he's going to be on to the states and stuff like that so you got the uh, the american interest but i guess it's just you just there yet to join the dots and maybe get that pr- promotional backing in the states and it's it's tough being a boxer without significant promotional uh connections isn't it yeah it really is um but when, when we were out uh pre-pandemic the, the, the groundwork that robbie and ryan corrigan done lads on the ground with posters and stuff and then there were so many people with tickets uh we we have a foundation in place that that you know is is incredible for not having fraud um and if i deliver the performances to match that foundation then you know something special could be brewing and there's no, no doubt about that um because the promoter, the promoters are looking for ticket sellers. The promoters are looking for people who bring eyeballs, and you yeah. seem like that anomaly who's not connected to a promotional outfit, but who has popularity, be it in Ireland, be it in the, be it on the east coast of America. So, yeah, I guess it's just about, I suppose, bringing the punch, connecting with the target, and then bang, everything will open like a pinata. Hopefully, that's what we're waiting for. Yeah, um, most people don't care about tickets here, but but. I- or most most people do care about ticket sales. Sorry, Eddie Hearn does them because he has his own TV. You know, um, that, that's what I've been told. Whether it's true or not, I'm sure he doesn't want that for stadiums either. But, um, you know, an Irish man fighting on the East Coast, based in America, so many, so much family and friends out there. Um, and now you have so many Gaelic footballers out there too who have headed over for the summer. I mean, the ticket sales will be crazy. And what I've also noticed too in America. Is when you're Irish, they, they want to help you, they want to support you, they want to be there for you, even if they don't know you from back home. But when you meet them out there, they they can't do enough, and that, that's that's all the Irish people out there. Whereas so many Irish people here would drive over happy, you know. Yeah. Um, and the Tyrone boys, of course, they're there since about March at this stage, aren't they? Like, aye, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Tyrone, unfortunately, we. <laughs> Better a wee bit early now, but we'll be back next year. Um, before, before, um, just before, obviously, we, we, you know, we know that at the start, you're out of the ring since 2019, you still have the desire to go for it. Um, but talk us through the disappointments of March 2020. Obviously, the world was quite scared about what was going to happen, and a few Irish lads had their fights cancelled. We've spoken in the past on the podcast to Michael Conlon, uh, Ray Moylis, Joe Ward, all of them. Were supposed to fight in on the east coast that that week, and all of them had their fights cancelled. But you were one of them as well, and those boys have managed to get back at you know get back on the horse. You know, have a couple of fights since. Moilet only had I think 
maybe one since, but the, the rest the rest of the boys have had a couple. And you're you're yet to go, but tell us about like what sort of a I suppose a fight crowd you'd mobilize. I saw a message wishing you luck from Peter Canavan and everything ahead of that March 2020 fight. And it seemed like uh you had the New York Irish ready to go to come support you at, at the garden and uh, it was going to be the, the start of big things then. Yeah, um, it, it was. It, everything was primed and ready to go. And there was nothing could have been better for, with every single thing from the preparation for that fight to, to our ticket sales to, to my weight. Everything was, was spot on. It was perfect. Um, or obviously coronavirus coming. Um, it, I think a lot of other people were more disappointed than me. I was obviously gutted, but I get over it very quickly because I think most fighters' mentality is just to right, that's what it is. We deal with it, we, we work, we go again. Let's go. So uh, I, I did extend for a long time during lockdown to to keep the the, the body right and then you know, nothing was happening. It was just falling apart. And when you're a big ticket seller, it's no good to people when it's when it's behind closed doors. Yeah, of course. You know? So your biggest bargaining shows is is gone. Um, and then you know there was fights in Ireland, and and again I was going to be back to the same situation where I was going to be unable to train correctly to fight, and I didn't want to do it, and. We weighed everything up and, and I've retired about 50 times in the house to my wife and my family. I've been like, that's it, no more, I'm not doing it again. I can't do this again. And then it's like, maybe like, you know, it's itchy for a run there. It must have been, it must have been nice though to spend, obviously, you know, people are inactive. It's, I'm sure it's quite depressing for a boxer, but at the same time, you're getting to spend all this time with your young kids as well. Because it's hard to leave them behind and go train in New York. Fight gets cancelled. You've missed three months with your children. Very small, very small kids. You've missed three months. And, you know, they might have got new teeth. They might have started walking. They might have started talking, doing stuff like that. And you're missing all these developmental milestones while you're away training for a fight that doesn't happen. It's pretty, pretty gutting, isn't it? It is. It's, it's devastating. And especially too, because we only get paid when we fight. And not especially, you know, money didn't rare me. But when you have a young family, it's important to have. So uh, you, you plan for how long you're going to be away. You organize how much you have and you sort it out to cover you and then you then you say well I'm say the 17th of March just for talk's sake I'm going to get paid X, Y or Z so that's going to cover all that when we spend and then some on the good part of the next camp but you come home and you're like what are we going to do I wasn't I did, wasn't entitled to, to furlough um, I was trying to go and sign on the door because I had no sort of income whatsoever Um I didn't know when my next paycheck was coming, how I was going to get money. Um, it, it was a worrying time, you know, there's no doubt. But, you know, I've, I, I was home with my young family. We were safe. And at that time, it was scary. We were unsure of, of what lay ahead for everyone. So, you know, I, I put that to the back of my mind, as I say, and it just, it just worked away and on, on my boxing. And, and then again, I got, I got fed up because there was nothing material, materializing for me. So, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was it was devastating. Like, but Donald Trump, Don Idiot, kept talking about how coronavirus is nothing out there. Um, forget about it. It's, it's not affecting us. We stopped it, and then every people were from home were texting me a few weeks out. Do you think will this go ahead? And I was like, Yeah, why wouldn't it? Like, 
and they were saying coronavirus. And I was like, sure, it's nothing. Like, you know, what are you on about? Because I was listening to that he get drunk, so more fool me. But I remember in the gym then, it was, uh, the fight was on a Tuesday at that time, and it was like Thursday, Thursday night before. And it was at one of the LA fitnesses, and there's, there's TVs on the treadmills. I was watching the TV and the news came on. On my way in, actually, it said that Trump's making a national announcement, so he came on, and he completely contradicted what he had been saying for, for the weeks and months before it. How it's a global pandemic and how they knew it was a global pandemic before everyone else. And I was like, oh my God. And then when I, got, I just stopped in and went to get in, went to get short of my home, I was watching the TV and Ireland wasn't actually one of the country's first bond right away. But before morning time it was, it was bond. So no one was coming out. So the next morning then, I think it was the, the Friday. It could be a day out, like put up on Thursday, but top rank said the fight's behind closed doors. So it says, right, so I was caught it about that, people weren't coming, so I got over it, I had to make weight, was close to weight, I kept working and working and working, and then I'd done a massive run that night, and it was cold, it was cold in New York in February, but I had loads of sweat gear on, I was wrapped up like a mummy, and uh, I, I was just coming through the door, and I got the phone call, and they says, what are you doing? I says, I'm just home from a run, and they says, oh, don't go, I says, I'm, I'm just home, I've went, what's up? And it says, uh, the fight's off. And I was like, oh. So then I had to get on to my airline to try and get home. And I had so much ticket money. Like I had sold something like, I don't know, 1,057 tickets or something for, for the Hulu and the Garden. Yeah, yeah. It was like, oh my God, where do I even start here? Like, So I was going from New York to Philly and back in New York and meeting someone that was going to Philly to take more money down. And, my head was wrecked, so I was talking to Merlin and he says, look, uh, he says to me, fly home Sunday. And I says, I, I can't. I'm not going home on Sunday. I had so many things to get back and sort out. And I says, I'm not going. And she says to me, well, if you're not, you can go Tuesday. She says, if you're not on the flight Tuesday, we don't know when you're getting home. So I was like, oh, my God, this this is just getting worse. So and then I eventually got home. And then but just before I came home on the Tuesday, Oh, sorry, the Monday, the Monday. Can't even remember now. Whatever day it was, I came home. I was in the city, in New York City, before I came, and and it was like a complete ghost town. So you see these videos, and even from even being in around New York, and it's always so busy. And it, was, it was like a ghost town. Honestly, I went to Macy's to try and get the children something, just coming home with presents, and and they were giving out donuts, and I, I wasn't making mates, so I, I was enjoying myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Three donuts and ice creams and coffees and. No one in it. No one anywhere. Yeah, like I am legend or something. I remember seeing the clips on ridiculous. Okay. It was it was scary. But thankfully, you know, hopefully we're over we're over the worst of it now. Yeah, well you're you're back to New York for your next fight and uh you're back there training with a new team as well by the looks of things. You're uh another Irish boxing legend from John Breen and uh Eamon McGee. You've got John John Duddy now, I think you're doing a bit of training with. Yeah, John, John's, John's a good man. He, I think everyone, he's set the, the marker for what everyone else wants to achieve in America. Um, I'd say Katie's the only one really has achieved that, what, what he done and, and went on and brought it further. Uh, yeah, great, great guy, great man. And, um, you know, Andre Rosier is a massive part of my team also. Andre is incredible, you know, and, and John, you know, great people around me. I'm very, very lucky. Very lucky and, and blessed to be able to call call these people anytime I want. And 
I know they're going to be there for me. Yeah, you seem to you seem to attract good people. Are right? your good pals with Chris Algeria over there as well? Oh, Chris, Chris is sound. Um, great person, a great, great person. I mean, for someone to have achieved what he achieved, and and to be as as grounded, and modest, and helpful as he is to everyone is is a real credit to him. He's a, he's a lovely man, and and then we still be in contact now and again. Um, yeah, he's he's I'd say he's the fittest. 37-year-old in the world. Yeah. Really, yeah. Yeah. So, I was devastated when Conor Ben knocked him out now. Got him. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jamie. Um, Conor Ben. Yeah, he's on the up and up, yeah, but he, he could be on the, on the decline again if he gets in with Chris Eubank Jr., but we'll see if that one comes about. Um, You went along to the Katie Taylor against Serrano fight. How was, how was your fight experience? Were you hoping to get a slot on the bill or was there... Was there some talk or how was your fight night experience? Was there a bit of regret that I'm not fighting on this or how did it go for you? Well, uh, initially, yeah, I thought I thought it wasn't the card. Um, it wasn't. Um, it, it was, I, I was devastated at that. You know, if I hadn't been on the card at all ever, which I wasn't, then that's grand, no problem. Dead on, but don't, I was led to believe that I was on it, if that makes sense. Um, you got your hopes up, and it didn't work out. Yeah, yeah sticking or nothing worse. Contracts were supposed to come, but but they never came. And anyway, the experience of the fight night made me very, very, very proud to be Irish. I mean, Katie Taylor. There was no no bitterness in me watching the the event, thinking I wish it was here. I mean, everyone wished they were fighting, but it never once crossed my mind. It was it was an honor to be present at at that event. I mean, actually. Where I was sitting, Katie, Katie came out just beside me, just, just down along where we were at. And I was videoing it, but I was watching it, not through my phone. I was watching it physically. And she looked at me twice, but as she looked at me twice, I was screaming, you know, and it says, it says to Andy O'Neill and my sister and my father, sister and father flew out to the site. And, uh, they says oh, that video is going to be class. We'll watch it in the morning. That's going to be brilliant. But as she looked up and I was shouting, I was moving the phone. So <laughs> you can't really see it. Mm. But, uh, oh, what, what an event. Amazing. Do you know Taylor from, from your time in Ireland? I actually remember Sparner. I was young. I was only about 15 on the Irish team and Pete, Pete Taylor was doing my corner, I said. And, uh, he says to me before we went in, I'll never ever forget it. Like, he says to me, Fergal, when you go out here now, you really have to put it on her. So out loud, it says, yeah, no bother. In my head, I says, no chance. I'm not, I'm not going out to hit her. I hit her hard. So, Bell goes first round. I walks out through a lazy job. Katie slipped it. And I'm not joking you. She absolutely fucking riddled me. I mean, riddled me. I was like, what? Oh, what a holder. Oh my God. So, after that, then I proceeded to do what her father told me 100%. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'd, I'd been in her company, yeah, but again, she she probably wouldn't remember me, no. Yeah, she's spared all the lads, isn't she? And did you, I suppose as a southpaw, did you think uh, a southpaw might give her a bit of trouble? Where How were you feeling before the fight? Did you did you give Saran much of a chance or were you, I know you're probably up, you're up for Katie, I'm sure, but, uh, you know, did you did you feel that she might lose it? I knew it was a possibility. I thought, I thought it was a possibility she may lose. 
Um, she, she's competing at the highest level in world boxing. Anything can happen. Um, you know, uh, Serrano with her experience and, and determination also. And, and you have to remember too, she's Puerto Rican. You know, she's similar to us Irish. She, she's an absolute gladiator. So she, she's a very proud woman also. So there's so many dangers coming into it. And, and yeah, well, I was, I was worried sick that I was so nervous for her that just, just for being an Irishman and an Irishman fighting and representing us all as great as she has. That, that she may lose on this, the biggest stage in women's boxing's history that she single-handedly brought it to. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was all shaking. Uh, thankfully, you know, she, she done the business. Yeah. Uh, just before we go, is Duddy going to be in your corner now? Like, I know you're doing some sessions with him. Is it a Trinity Boxing Club there in, uh, in New York? Um, Duddy's going to be helping out, yeah. Um, Andre Rosier will be coming back into the corner also. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've got good people. I'm also training with Don, Don Anderson in Belfast at home at the moment as well. Um, hopefully, eventually, I can pay to take Don out himself. But until until the purses start going up, um, he's going to have to wait at home, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, when we, when we get a big fight in America and I get to go back out full time, which hopefully is, isn't too far away, um, I'll, I'll be out there full time and we'll be training in uh, Andre Rosier's gym in, in Brooklyn well happy days and uh, I'm sure you've got your eye on all of the featherweights and do you think you're do you think you're far away from catching up to the best of them or what about yeah. obviously you've yeah. been training hard I do I do yeah I do think I'm, I'm far away but I believe that with the right opportunity with with Correct notice for, for, for fights. You know, I fancy myself against anyone. And again, I'm, I'm not silly. I'm smart enough to know the sport and the business side of boxing. And I, I need momentum. I, we have a plan in place and it's down to me to deliver performances to get past each stage of that plan to move on to the next. Do I want to be world champion? Absolutely. Am I going to work my, my ass off to achieve as best as I can, 100%. And, and let's see where it goes, you know. Um, at this stage, I am fresh for 30, as you were saying. There's, there's no doubt I'm, I'm a young 30. But, but you're, I can't you're, you're, a young, you're a young 30, but you seem like a very uh, mentally mature 30 as well. Because, you, like you, as I can see, you know, you've built a house to live in with your family. You're married. You've got two kids. You've got a mature... Uh, you got a you got a job on the side, you know. Apart from box, you've got a career on the side apart from boxing. So you you're going in with your eyes open and you're ready to let's hope do some damage. You said maybe the early part of your professional boxing career was derailed by maybe being too immature. But at this stage, at thirty, you're a young thirty physically, but you definitely seem like you got your head screwed on and ready to do damage in the next yeah. couple of years. Yeah, I do, and, and I know my value. You know, I know what I bring. I know. I know the concept, the concept of business. I know everyone has to be paid, but I know how much money I make on a show, how much money I, I, I bring to it and, and generate in that yard. So, um, I, I want well paid and, and that, that's it. A hundred percent. So, well, well look, uh, I was actually on a talk to my dog, so we'll get a wee bit sidetracked there. 
No, no worries at all. Well, look, your next fight, uh, August 12th, do you, ha- you don't have an opponent yet? Is it just, you know, I, a rust- I, do, I do have an opponent, yeah. It's um, Alejandro Reyes, R-Y-S-S, I think maybe. John Joan Allen boxing in Philadelphia. Right. Um, I think he's a record of, of 10 and 4, possibly. I'm not sure, but, he, but he's, he's tough. Tough man, he's fought great opposition. He's never been stopped or down. To my knowledge, he's never been down. Um, definitely never been stopped. He gives some great accounts of himself in his in his losses. And he's going to be looking to me, fancying this as a win. One hundred percent, I have to be in the game, or else, or else I get beaten. Yeah, you get, or else you go back to the normal life, like every other working stiff. But no, the dream lives on for you, for McCrory, and uh, I wish you well in it. Thank you today for joining us on the Rocky Road. It's been fantastic. Pleasure to be here a lot. Thank you. Good man. And any message to your fans before we go? Just watch on, on August 12th and you, you judge how hard I'm working and the people that genuinely support me and, and my community, I mean, our, our community of Kalilans around the areas has been through a rough time very recently with so many deaths and I hope to, to deliver a performance to give everyone a nice raise and, and make us all proud over in America and, uh, Thank you for the support. Thank you to the, the people in America, the Irish people in America that keep supporting me and, and backing me. And, and you don't understand what it means to me, especially being out there away from home and being able to, to call on so many people. It's, it's, it's just great. Thank you. And thank you too, Fergal. Cheers. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.